Good morning. I'm Amelia Richardson-Dress. My pronouns are she and her. I'm one of the pastors here at UCC Longmont. And so along with Sarah Verasco, with our musicians, with our nursery team, our AV folks, I get to welcome you this morning. The uh, Sunday morning service is the hub of church life, even though we do so many things throughout the week. And so it is always a joy to come together in this space and at this time, whether you're joining us here in the sanctuary or joining us at home or somewhere else online, this is the place where we are exploring and learning together what it means to be a community growing in God's love. And so as part of our tradition, we welcome each other on Sunday morning as well. And I invite you to do that with me using the words that are in the bulletin no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Know that that welcome extends to each of you this morning uh, from the community and from the extensive community of faith. We're going to be turning to this idea later of what is your story. And part of your story is that you are called by name called by name and known by God as a beloved child. And we embrace that. We embrace that and we embrace whatever brings you here this morning. So know that if you are arriving with overwhelming joy that that is welcome here and that there are members of the community that need that. And if you are coming here with some grief or some challenges, that is welcome you're invited to just bring that into this space and see what God does with it here. So in that spirit, let's take a moment for breath. And I invite you this morning to breathe in, I am a child of God. And to breathe out, all of creation knows God love. Let's do that once together, breathing in, I am a child of God. All of creation knows God's love. Continue that on your own for a few breaths. Know that that breath and that knowledge is available to you today and throughout the week wherever you might need it. Come, let's praise God together. God is great and worthy of our praise. Let us tell, let's tell stories of God's power and majesty. Let's tell stories of God's mighty acts throughout history. For God is great and worthy of our praise. Let's remember the compassion God has shown toward us. Let's remember God's mercy and unfailing love generation after generation. For God is great and worthy of our praise. 
Let's worship God together. Thank you. <laughs> this morning we have a story that Mary will be reading for us, and she'll be reading from this chair up here. We will have the slides on the screen so that anybody who's in the pews or at home can follow along as well. But we'd also like to invite uh, any people, younger or older, who might like to move closer in order to see from the book. You're welcome to be on the floor or just in a middle pew. And if you change your mind partway through the story, you're welcome to move forward then. Good morning. So we're going to be reading a story called Tell Me a Story, Mama. It's written by Angela Johnson. And it's a story about a mother and a little girl. And in the book, the little girl does not have a name. So we're going to make up a name for her. We're going to call her Ella. So here is the story. Tell me a story, Mama, about when you were little. What kind of story, Ella? Just any old story. How about the time you lived in a little white house across the field from that mean old lady? Meanest woman I've ever known, Ella. She was so mean that she used to holler out her window at you and Aunt Jessie when you passed her house every morning. You weren't afraid of her, though. No, Ella, I was not. Grandmama made you apologize, but she kissed you hard on the head and gave you an extra sweet roll after dinner that night. Your grandmama makes the best sweet rolls, Ella. Is grandmama going to stay here forever, Mama? Just stay here and be grandmama forever to me? She won't be here forever, Ella, but long enough for you never to forget how much she loves you. Did grandmama squeeze you tight when you were her little girl, like she does me? Uh-huh. You were lucky too, mama. Yes, I was, Ella. Remember the time when you were little and you found that puppy with no tail by the side of the road? Poor little thing, said Mama. You kept it hidden in your sweater, huh, Mama? Well, we had three dogs already. You kept it hidden until it got hungry and started to cry. Grandmama didn't say anything. She took that little puppy from you and wrapped it up in her apron. She gave him milk and then let him live in the milk crate with your old baby blanket. From one baby to another, she said. Do all animals have babies, Mama? Yes, they do, Ella, the females at least. Aunt Jessie is the baby in your family. Yes, she is. Why did Grandmama and Granddaddy send you and Aunt Jessie off to St. Louis when you were both younger than me, alone on a train? Mama said, well, they had to work, and your great-aunt Rosetta was lonely for children. 
hers were all grown up. Jessie and me, we kept her company for a few months. Did your mama and daddy miss you? Like you'd miss the sun, Ella. We missed them too, but we loved Aunt Rosetta. Aunt Jessie cried when the train pulled out of the station and you couldn't see Grandmama and Granddaddy anymore. Yes, she cried all over me, said Mama. It's all right to cry, though, right, Mama? If you feel like it, it's okay. I feel like it sometimes, like when my best friend Corey moved away. I did cry then. I bet Corey cried too. I'll bet he did. Would you cry if I moved away, Mama? Yes, I will. Grandmama cried when you moved away, Mama. She cried so hard that everybody at the airport looked at her and Granddaddy, and Granddaddy bought her flowers and a candy bar. I remember, said Mama. I like it when you tell me stories, Mama. Tell me more tomorrow. Okay, Ella, more stories tomorrow. sweet story, isn't it? Mary is going to be leading the children's church this morning as well, so any of the kids who would like to join her for that are uh, welcome to do so. They'll just be going right down the hall to room 12. They'll come back before the end of the service so that it's easy to connect with their grown-ups, and I think they're going to work with that story a little bit more, and we are here too. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Joshua. Joshua became the leader uh, of the Hebrew people after Moses. And so we first meet Joshua in Deuteronomy when, jo when uh, Moses is preparing for his own death. And he appoints Joshua to take over. Joshua then goes on to live to be over a hundred. And now he's preparing the people for his death. So they are in a new land, and they are facing some questions about how they're going to live out their faith. And we're reading this morning from chapter 24. We're going to begin at verse 1, and I'm going to condense uh, some of this. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all of the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through the land of Canaan, and I gave him many offspring. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country to possess, and Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in their midst, and afterwards I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen. 
When they cried out to God, God put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And afterwards, you were free and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And we're skipping down a bit and picking up at verse 15, but what's happening in this in-between time is that Joshua continues to tell the story to the people from when they have left Egypt until where they are today. And then he says to them, Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake God to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did all of these great signs in our sight. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. Words of wisdom for us this morning. And from that ancient story, I want to turn to a vision of the future, and I wonder if anybody in here is already familiar with the um, 100-year Starship project. It was new to me. I just learned about this a few years ago during the pandemic when there were some lectures online. My family and I watched one on the 100-year Starship project. And it was a project um, that I'm, I'm calling our minds to this morning because even though this is a project that's visioning the future, it's helpful for understanding the journey of the Hebrew people and this story that we have just heard or reheard. The 100-year Starship was originally a one-year joint project between NASA and DARPA to look at the possibility of human travel beyond our solar system within 100 years. And since then, it's become its own organization, but it's maintained this same focus. What does it take to make that happen? And the scope of the project is especially immense when you think through the technology that we have and realize that a journey of this kind would take thousands of years of travel. So the research that's going into this has to look at what it takes for entire generations of humans to live on board a spaceship. And so in the process of playing with this idea, they bring together people of all disciplines. And they're looking at things like, how do bones grow in zero gravity? And how do we maintain a complete food cycle on a spaceship? And how do we develop energy sources that are renewable. And one of the um, questions that, that emerges from these is that it's helpful information for how we're living life on Earth. Some of these questions face us now, and they matter for us here. But aside from all of these technological kinds of questions, there are all these social questions that come up. There are questions about how would a government system be formed and maintained. 
mental health professionals have looked at how living in this kind of enclosed system would affect human behavior and well-being. They look at what education would look like knowing that knowledge is going to change on Earth and in space. And so the question that connects that vision with the reading that we had here in Scripture today is how do the people maintain a sense of relationship with the land of their ancestors? In the case of this space travel, multiple generations will live and die on the journey. They will never know Earth. And it will be hard for them to envision the destination. But somewhere along the way, their job becomes to pass on the knowledge that they left with and the vision of what they're working for. Joshua, when he's faced with this question, attempts to do it by telling them a story. The power of stories is well known, and we use them in all kinds of ways. I think about um, how we use them as memory devices, and maybe because space was on my mind, I thought first of how some of us had to relearn the mnemonic for remembering the planets in order once Pluto was demoted, and so we had to come up with a new story to tell to remember the planets. We also use them to teach. Storyteller uh, Gary Green gives this example of how stories were important to survival. And he says that, you know, for example, if someone said to you, guys, don't eat the red berries, and then you went out and you encountered the red berries, you might say, what it, were we supposed to eat the red berries or not eat the red berries? But if you tell a story about a child who ate the red berries and what happened, you remember, don't eat the red berries. Our brains are wired for these stories. And the real power of that is seen when the stories are passed down from generation to generation. And that's why we use Tell Me a Story, Mama, this morning. You saw that, how Mama's stories became the child's stories. Mama uh, really doesn't tell any of the stories that are in the book. The child tells them all, and Mama agrees, yes, that's how it happened. And when that's done well in families or organizations or religions, we start to own the story. We talk about that sometimes as being community memory or collective memory. It's powerful. It's why it was fun to celebrate our 150th uh, church anniversary a bit ago, wasn't it? Or why we tell the story of communion every month. What we want is for these stories to become so familiar that they are beloved. And I think often we worry about the stories becoming boring uh, because we are in a culture where we have so much newness. But what really happens is that a story's power increases. People become part of it. They don't just know it. In the story that Joshua tells this morning, most of the people have not lived through it. 
there have been multiple generations. But he's not just teaching the history, he is crafting a vision. And what follows by the time he gets to the end is essentially this ceremony of renewal. Choose this day whom you will serve, and the people answer, we will serve God, the one who brought us out of Egypt. It's a promise that they are making at this point in their time together. And what we know from being part of communities with promises, whether that is a marriage or church communities or quieter promises like friendships, is that we don't just make that choice once and for all. We make it in a series of ways. Over and over, we make the choice. The same is true for our spiritual lives. There's this house that I often drive by who has this quote from Joshua outside on their porch, choose this day whom you will serve. And I'm not sure how they intend it. I, maybe it's a statement they're making to everybody who goes by, but it's not how it strikes me. What I appreciate about the placement is that it would be a reminder for each person every time they enter that house. And it feels freeing, in a way, to know that every day we get to make that choice. For today, are you choosing the God of life, or are you choosing the various false gods that might be around you? It reminds me of the wisdom of 12-step programs and their emphasis on one day at a time. Choose today. And that's where the real power of stories comes in because we get to choose that too. Joshua does some editing in the story that he tells the people as they gather. Even as long as his summary is, long enough that we didn't read all of it. He doesn't tell them everything. He doesn't remind them about the time that they whined in the desert so much that Moses got irritated and stomped off. He doesn't tell them about how they got tired of waiting for God to show up and they made an idol to worship instead. He tells them the parts that will help them renew their commitment. And that's the part that I want to hold on as a strategy that we can use too. The question, what's your story, isn't just the question of what's happened to you. It's the question of what story are you choosing to tell? And one of the things that I love most about church communities is that we get to become keepers of the story for each other. Right? Our communal memory, our collective memory, isn't just the memory of when the church was founded or when Fireside Kitchen was remodeled. Our communal memory is that we are all children of God learning to love as God loves. And so when our faith is faltering, we can turn to that story and turn to each other to get us back on track. And I don't just mean scripture stories in that regard, even though that's the example that we had. I mean personal stories. Right? The Bible stories matter because they are a story of people who lived 
their faith. But God didn't stop telling God's story then, and God hasn't stopped telling God's story now. And so sometimes the story that we need told is a personal one. Here's a story of mine. About 10 years ago, which I know because my daughter uh, was very young, I was hiking Mount Sopris, which is just outside of Carbondale, with my mom. And we got caught in a lightning storm that rolled in fast. Any of you know from your uh, own hiking experience that our high mountains are just barren rocks, and they are not where you want to be in a lightning storm. And so even for uh, experienced hikers on a mountain that we had hiked before and were familiar with, it was to this day one of the most terrifying experiences I have had. And it was so terrifying in that moment that my mom and I were alternating between praying frantically and telling each other all of the worst case emergency information that one of us might need. <laughs> and I remember that part, and I remember that part happening so quickly as we're scrambling to find somewhere safer to be. And I remember then, like, time slowed down. A feeling of peace and the knowledge I cannot describe that everything would be okay. And it wasn't even in that moment a knowledge that we would make it off the mountain safely, which we did. It was the knowledge that everything would be okay in the biggest way possible. It is one of those stories that sometimes feels a little silly. It feels a little hard to tell it now. I hesitated. I was like, maybe I'll tell somebody else's story this morning. It's hard because these kinds of experiences are things that we tend to rationalize. And so this much later, it's easy for me to look back and I could psychoanalyze that. I could think there was something else. But the real gift of that experience and the others like it that I have had are that I can turn to them when my faith is struggling. And so when God feels far away, I can remember that even if I'm not feeling that closeness now, I have the memories of feeling it at another time. And sometimes I need other people to remind me of those stories. And I wonder too, when I hear Joshua tell the stories to the people, how many more of those stories there might be if we let ourselves pay attention to them and maybe weren't quite so quick to rationalize them, think maybe they were okay for happening to somebody else, but those kinds of stories don't happen to us. So I included our community covenant in the bulletin this week, and I included it really in that spirit of holding our stories 
Now Joshua ends this time, this storytelling and this recommitment and renewal of the people this way. Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And he made statutes and ordinances with them at Shechem. Statues and ordinances sound um, fairly boring, but this, what you have in the bulletin, is an example of the way that statues and ordinances help us find life-giving faith. That this way of practicing community along with each other, along with our other covenants, our open and affirming covenant, our creation justice covenant, open us up. What's important to them, about them, isn't that they exist as these things that somebody wrote one time. What's important about them is that we continue to live into them. And that by doing that, we continue to live into a story that we are also telling. And so for your pondering, I just raise up the question that's on the bulletin. What is your story? And to that I add another question, which is how are you telling it so that others might help you hold it? May those be things for you to ponder this week and see where they take you.